This is the message from Connection Community Church for this Sunday, February 16th, 2014. I'm not a fan. Rules? Yeah, it's good music. We're going to talk about the Olympics in a minute, but rules. Um, excuse me, rules? That's what we're going to be talking about this morning as we continue our series, I'm Not a Fan. Good morning, Connection Church. It's great to be together this morning. My name is Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? God, thank you so much for today, a day that you've made, a day where you knew that each one of us would be here in community and worshiping you. God, I would ask that you would settle all of us in so that we might really be able to tune in to you and what your message would be for us today. Open our ears, open our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody gathered said, amen. Amen. So who's been following the Olympics? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. I've always loved the skiing and snowboarding events, uh, especially the ones that are kind of crazy and dangerous. They got a new event this year called Slope Style Skiing. Anybody seen that yet? That is the wildest thing. These guys come down, they hit these um, jumps, they go about 100 feet in the air, there's like three of these jumps, they go down, they end up backwards, their skis flip up at both ends because they go frontwards, they go backwards, they go in the air, they do like four spins, they do upside down flips. It is the craziest event. I think I've ever seen the USA first time out swept the event this year gold silver and bronze amen and amen yeah so in his book called not a fan by Kyle Eidelman he talks about an Olympian whose name is Matt Emmons and he participated in the 2004 Summer Olympics and he was competing in the rifle event and a really cool thing is that this guy really, really, really existed, <laughs> exists because somebody from the last service said, my son right now is in Colorado training with him. Training, yeah, we have a future Olympian as uh, mom here in this congregation. Anyway, more about this guy, Matt Emmons. In his final shot of the event, he had the gold medal all but tied up. I mean, he didn't even need to make a bullseye. He didn't even need to be close. All he needed to do was hit the target. That's all he needed to do. Now, the shot that he would have made normally would have been really uh, more than sufficient, but there was one problem. Matt Emmons fired at the wrong target. Ugh something that's really unheard of at that level, that caliber of um, the sport of the competition. So he was standing in line two, but he fired at the target in line three. So his score for that shot was zero, and instead of winning the gold, he came in eighth place in the competition. That just breaks my heart. <laughs> I bet it broke his too. <laughs> you know, that's what happens though to a lot of people who are, um, who are fans of Jesus Christ. If you, if you ask them if they were a fan or a follower, they'd probably say, I'm a follower. 
And they say that because they are uh, given a great effort. They are totally desirous for that. Uh, they're working very, very, very hard. The problem is they aren't really following Jesus. Like, like Matt Emmons, they are unintentionally focusing on the wrong target. They're following rules, rituals, regulations, rather than Jesus Christ. We see this in Matthew 23. If you have your Bibles or your smartphones, you're welcome to uh, dial that up. We also have the scripture on the screen uh, for the rest of us. Here we find Jesus speaking to a crowd, and in the crowd he includes his disciples, and he talks about this very subject of allowing, following the rules and regulations rather than following Jesus. So he talks, he focuses on the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes were those persons who had knowledge of the law and they would write up the law. You know, they write up contracts and marriages and loans and those kinds of things. Everybody had uh, scribes in their town. Now the Pharisees, on the other hand, they focused on interpreting the law. And they knew this law because it had been passed down for generations. In the Bible, the first five books of the Bible, it's called Pentateuch, five books, and it's full, chock full, of the laws and the regulations handed down over centuries. The Ten Commandments are part of that. And these Pharisees, they were dedicated to God and understanding God's law. But too often, their zest for interpreting the law really got in the way, and it overshadowed their love for God. They were so focused on the rules and the regulations, these scribes and these Pharisees, they became more consumed with the letter of the law than the spirit of the law. And so that's what Jesus is focused on in chapter 23 of Matthew. Here's what he says to the crowd that is gathered. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, do whatever they teach you and follow it. But do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they preach, or excuse me, what they teach. Sitting on Moses' seat means that they were well-versed in the law that God had shared through Moses, you know, the Ten Commandments and the rest of the laws that we find there in the early part of the Old Testament. And Jesus tells the people that for that reason, since they were so knowledgeable, that they should follow what these people teach. But then he adds the clincher, do not do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. In other words, they're so busy trying to interpret the laws of Moses that most of the time they're missing the point of the laws of Moses. And Jesus goes on to say that they tie up heavy, hard-to-bear burdens and place them on people's shoulders, yet never lift a finger to help them out. In other words, their interpretation of the law is so narrow and so demanding that it makes it nearly impossible to follow these laws that God set up because of how closely they're interpreting it. The following the law for them has become more important than what God intended when he gave the law. 
So sometimes as parents, we could be guilty of what Jesus is calling the Pharisees out on. Have you ever um, said something and then you've heard your kids say it? And it's like, oh, wow, shouldn't have done that. Or done something and your kids mimic that. There's a a famous expression, you might have said it, you might have heard it, I might have said it, I've certainly heard it, do as I say, not as I, yeah, yeah. The things we say, the things we look at, the things that we participate in, you know, our standards are different than other standards? I don't think so. I don't think so. And so talk is cheap. It's the walk that's important. Yeah, if you don't think your kids are watching. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So Jesus goes on to point out how appearances are important to the scribes and Pharisees. And when he says this, he says, "They uh, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their, here's a good word for you, phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love to have the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have people call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all students. Let's talk about this word phylactery. Uh, That uh, was a new word for me when I started reading the Bible and not a word that we use every day. It's... um, We're going to describe it. It's this small, square, black leather box that contained passages of Scripture, that contains passages of Scripture. Can you imagine putting Scriptures in that little box? And those who strictly observed the Jewish laws wore them on their foreheads and on their arm, and they still do. You might see that when you're um, in places like in the city where there's a lot of you know, very strict Jews. This tradition arose because they took Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 8, literally. Deuteronomy says, keep these words that I am commanding you in your heart. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem or frontlet on your forehead or between your eyes. Now, can you imagine having a box between your eyes? But that's the point. They needed to put the scripture right in front. That was what was important. It would be tough not to stay focused on it, wouldn't it? In addition, according to scripture passage found in the book of Numbers, chapter 15, verses 38 through 40, the Israelites were instructed to wear tassels or fringe on the corners of their garments, and they usually wore a robe, so it'd be on the, like the four corners of their robe. And so again, these were to be an outward and visible reminder to the wearer to follow God's commandments. You look at that, oh yeah, it's like, you know, we tie a, a string around our finger, so to speak. Well, that's what these things are to remind them to stay focused on God. But here's the thing, in Jesus' time, from what we understand, many of the Pharisees were guilty of making the phylacteries larger than necessary. Wow, this isn't enough. It's got to be bigger. And then the tassels longer than, um, so that they would appear like more pious, more uh, righteous, more focused on God. Jesus 
knew their hearts, though, and, and, and he knew that, that they were being hypocritical. They, they were only seeking attention. They wanted people to think that they were more uh, righteous than they really were. So Jesus goes on to share what is commonly known as the seven woes in Scripture. It's Matthew 23. Now, if you're looking for a whole bunch of encouragement from Jesus Christ, don't go to the seven woes. It is like, whoa, oh my heavens. Well, it's because, like, whoa, 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 whoa. In fact, in the seven woes where Jesus kind of slams the Pharisees and the scribes, he starts out by saying, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Wow, okay. Then he goes on to point out an example of how they were hypocritical and how they were focusing on minor things rather than something major. For example, let's look at Matthew 23, verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you lock people out of the kingdom of heaven, for you do not go in yourselves. And then others are go and when others are going in, you stop them. As Kyle Eidelman shares in his book, Not a Fan, the scribes and Pharisees made it difficult for people to realize a relationship with God. They they got so caught up in the rules and regulations and interpreted those rules so ridiculously narrow at times that it was nearly impossible for the people to keep those rules so that not only uh, did salvation become something that was a chore rather than a joy, but it was also something that you earned, so to speak, by following the rules, yet was impossible to, to make happen because it was virtually impossible to follow the rules as they interpreted them. For example, God had given us the Sabbath, right? The Sabbath day, a day to be kept holy or set apart to honor God, to to realize and remember God's authority in our lives, a day for rest, a day for spiritual renewal. The leaders added so many rules and regulations to ensure that people do no work on the Sabbath that rather than a day of rest and renewal, it became exhausting trying to figure out, am I allowed to do this or am I allowed to do that? For example, um, they attempted to define what work meant, so you knew if you were working or not, it became ludicrous, ludicrous. Like, one could not take a bath on the Sabbath. What's that about? If you spilled something on the floor, you couldn't clean it up because that was construed as work. Here's another thing. You were not to move a chair from one place to another because that was work. I mean, the list goes on and on. You see the point that we're trying to make that you get so caught up in these rules that people hurt, uh, adhere to this letter of the law and they've completely missed the intent, the spirit of the law. It really gets crazy when Jesus says, does healings on the Sabbath day and they get all upset because he did, quote, work by healing somebody of what was wrong. Hey, boy, really clashed there. Another example found in Matthew 23, 23 through 24. Here we go. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, 
and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. You blind guides. I love this last one here. Say it with me. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. It's like when he said, you know, get the log out of your own eye before you try to take the splinter out of your brother. You, you strain a gnat and you swallow a camel. <laughs> all right, so first of all, tithing is important. It was important then, it is important now. Tithing is giving God the first fruits. It's, it's a thank you note for all that we have. That we know it as 10% of everything we bring in. And Jesus is making a point that the scribes and the Pharisees would call for the tithe even in, in the herbs like uh, cumin and mint and dill, which, okay, everything we bring in needs to be tithed back to God. But he was pointing out that they were so focused on something so small that they were or ignoring the bigger issue of justice and mercy and faith. You see where Jesus is going with this? Like, you gotta tithe, you know, that little piece of mint. And they weren't even focused on, like, the real stuff of the saving message of Jesus. They're, they're, they're not seeing the forest for the trees. And he says that they're so busy straining a gnat out of what they were drinking that they swallow a camel. Well, we like to call this majoring in the minors. Everybody heard of that saying? You know, you're majoring in the minors, and that honestly is easy to do at times, but the problem is when we do that, we end up minoring in the majors, and we really allow the important stuff to fall through the cracks because we're so focused on these little things that we just got to do it this way. And we really neglect the bigger issue. It's so easy to major in the minors, especially with those close to us, maybe our spouse, maybe our children, whatever. I remember back when I was around 18, I was in college, I was living at home, and, and one of the major conflicts of my father and myself was the length of my hair. He wanted it much longer, and no, I'm kidding. <laughs> It was always, Alan, you need a haircut. Why? Back and forth, back and forth. And then one day, it's like a miracle. He said, Alan, I'm not going to say another word about your hair. You can let it grow down to your... He'd just leave it there. Well, you can let it grow as long as possible as you want. I'm not going to say another word. <laughs> if I could have done a cartwheel, I would have. But it seemed strange, kind of out of the blue, and I found out later what had happened. I apparently, he'd had a conversation with my mother. And I'd always tried to do what the right, th I didn't get in a lot of trouble, in other words, and my, my mother, I think it said, okay, Bill, my father's name, Bill, other than his Beal. hairs, there, huh, Beal, Beal. Um, uh, if Rhonda Ray was talking to him, uh, Beal, is uh, anything other than his hair, is there anything else about Alan that's really bothering you, or troublesome, upsetting, he said, well, no, and she said, okay, well, of all the things an 18, 19-year-old could be doing wrong, if the hair is the only problem, you know, she tried to put it in perspective, and so then he came to say that. You know, he stopped, at least on my hair, majoring in what I considered a minor. I have to give him credit. You know, he, he never mentioned my hair 
again, and it got down to my pocket. You know, it got very long. In fact, when I finally did cut it, and I know he enjoyed he still didn't say anything because he had said he wasn't going to say anything about my hair, but he stopped majoring in a minor, and that's something we could all take a lesson from. And that's a lesson I need to remember, too. As a parent, you know, I get caught up in the hair thing, and Alan says, remember what my mom and dad said? I'm like, okay, okay. So, all right, Jesus <laughs> isn't saying... His hair was longer than mine, by the way. It was really interesting. Anyway, Jesus isn't saying here... It's a little thicker and a little browner, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's not saying here that rules are not important. I mean, can you imagine a world without rules? I mean, just even traveling here in our cars, we have to have rules. Without rules, without a framework, there's total chaos, and God is a God of order. Rules were really not meant to be broken, but Jesus is trying to make a greater point than that. He said he came to fulfill the law, not abolish the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Jesus came to show and be love for each one of us so that we could be actually experience freedom in the midst of the framework. We have freedom in Christ. There's a great scripture, Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to not abolish, but fulfill. And here's a huge thing, though. The purpose of the law was to lift up, not tear down. It was to bring us closer to God, not further away, to allow us to focus on God and those around us rather than focusing on the rules and regulation and the exhausting interpretation that the Pharisees brought. Jesus was pointing out something that God had warned against centuries before through the prophet Isaiah. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that have been taught. In the 12th chapter of the book of Mark, we read where one of the teachers of the law, one of the guys we're talking about this morning, he asked Jesus which of the commandments was the most important. And we've talked about this before, but it bears repeating. Jesus quoted chapter 6, verse 4 and 5 of Deuteronomy, part of what we talked about before, the Pentateuch, those five books in the old, first five books in the Old Testament, the law, and saying that the most important commandment was to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And then he said the second most important thing is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Say that with me. Love our neighbor as ourself. He said no commandment, no commandment is greater than these two. So if we love God with everything we've got and we love our neighbor, that's everybody else in our lives, people we know, people we don't know, then actually we've taken care of all the rules and regulations. You know, rather than focusing on the negative, what we shouldn't do, Jesus is focusing on the positive, what we should do. We shall love our neighbor as ourselves. 
we need to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God, love neighbor. And when that happens, everything else is covered. See, what the Pharisees were trying to do with the rules is really try to help those of us who try to find loopholes and, you know, there's always a but this or but that, just like Rhonda Ray said, and they were trying to honor God's laws, but really, really went overboard. Mm. You know, I've, um, I've always been, as I said about when I was 18, I've always been pretty much of a rule follower. Sometimes I push them pretty hard, but I've always been pretty much a rule follower, except for the occasional... Um, exceeding the uh, <clears throat> speed that's been posted or the uh, ever, ever challenging parent-imposed curfew time when you're in your late teenage years. But pretty much I've tried and, 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 and tried to be good, tried to do what was right, follow the rules that I learned at home and at church. You know, I was familiar with the Ten Commandments. I tried to comply best I could. Uh, you know, I knew what most of us are taught as kids. This is interesting. If you ask, especially kids who are church, people who have God in their lives. When they're about this tall, you say, if you're a good little boy, where will you go? And what's he going to say? And if you're bad, where will you go? Now, he won't say it, will he, but he'll... Because it's a rule you're not allowed to say. Because that's a rule. You, but, you know, kids know if you're good, hmm, if you're bad, hmm, right? And, of course, I, I knew that, and I sure knew that that's where I wanted to go, Okay. Somewhere along the line, I, I, I wish I could pinpoint it, but I can't, but somewhere along the line, I don't know the exact day, hour, and minute, but somewhere, sometime, I came to realize that being, just being a good boy wasn't the ticket. Doesn't mean I went and became a bad boy. <laughs> um, that's to say, I came to realize that what we learn as children, that good and bad, really isn't the truth, is it? It's not the truth at all. It's not exactly true. And that's because we can follow the rules as strictly as the Pharisees would want us to do, and yet that's not our ticket to eternity, is it? Somewhere, again, I don't exactly know where, I came to realize that those who go to heaven aren't necessarily the ones who follow the rules, but they're the ones who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They're the ones who realize, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I can't save myself, no matter how good I try to be. No matter how closely I follow the rules and regulations, I can't absolve myself of my sin. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus Christ is the Savior. He's the one who died for me so that I might realize an eternity with God in heaven rather than <laughs> the other Place. And, and I'd known this for a, a, a while, but it really, really crystallized when I was about 32, the year I turned 33. 
um, when I was on a, a weekend retreat. And they talked a lot that weekend about this idea of God's grace. I've been in church all my life, and somehow I missed the grace piece somehow, or if I heard, I just didn't, but this weekend it was like, boom, it like, it was there, this idea of God's unconditional love. His love not because we earn it or deserve it, but just because God loves us, his grace. And that weekend I realized that that uh, grace God had been pouring out to me long before I ever even realized it. We call that that prevenient grace, that grace before. Before I ever realized it, even as far back as my baptism as an infant, God had been pouring, drawing me in. Wow. Not because I was good, but because he loved me. And then there came a point where <laughs> I stopped saying no. <laughs> I said yes to that relationship that he was offering. And when you say yes, it's just as if you'd never sinned. You know, that justification, that justified grace. And, and then God's grace allows me to spend every one of my remaining days getting ever, ever closer to him. Not because I'm a good guy, but because Christ is. Not because I deserve it, but because he died for it. Not because I'm good, but because Christ is good. Wow. Wow. And that's what God desires for each one of us. That's what God desires for everyone in these seats today. That's what God desires for everyone on the planet. That we come to know Jesus as a personal Savior, not some big God up in the sky that, you know, big bang and the earth came and it's beautiful and all that but as the one who loved us enough to take the dirt, blow life into us, and then if that wasn't enough to set us in this place that was perfect, and then we messed up, and then we spent all these years, you know, following God, not following God, following God, not following God, and then we come to a point where, you know, we're just such a mess, and God says, I'm going to do something so radical that I'm going to be, you know, come to earth, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us to save my people. What a gift. What a gift. That's what grace is, a gift of love. And God desires each one of us to experience that in a way that isn't out here, but is right here, isn't here, but is here. See, that's, you know, the Pharisees and the scribes, I think they had it here, but they needed it to be here, and that's true for a lot of us. Jesus Christ, when he becomes the leader of our lives, everything changes. All of our decisions change because we need to look to see what Christ would have us do. All of the way we speak might change, the, the actions that we might do, the way we behave, it all changes. Because what happens is the Holy Spirit begins to reside in us. We're filled. It's so awesome. And he wants that for every one of us. And he showed us how much by sacrificing his one and only son to die so that we might live.
And so when we love God and love our neighbor, what happens is that it's all about love, and love trumps everything. Love trumps everything. Say, love trumps everything. Yeah, it does. And so when we claim Christ and we begin to live for Jesus, we begin to share that love with those who we meet, whether we know them or whether we don't, and we live, we live a life of faithfulness and forgiveness. And our focus begins on, uh, our focus centers on relationship rather than rules. And that's when we become a follower of Jesus rather than merely fans. That's when it happens. What about rules or what about relationships? Are you a fan or are you a follower? Let's get out of the stands and be a church full of followers of Jesus Christ. Our mission to connect people with Jesus and the life he offers. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, you know, this, this uh, topic of, of the woes of how we are rule followers and we sometimes, uh, who? We have like this black and this white and, and God, you are so big and you can cover it all. So we just ask you to do that in the confusing way that the world is. And, you know, sometimes we get all caught up in legalism in the church and help us always remember that it's about love. It's about love. So help us reflect that love to those who we meet. Help us be like your son Jesus rather than the Pharisees and the scribes so that we can be followers, not fans. We pray this in your name. Everybody gathered said, amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church, please visit our website at connectioncc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash connectioncc. You can also contact our church office at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the life he offers.